0: Welcome to Questions for the Sages, a podcast from the Washington DC area. I'm Michael Scherer. Today is Mother's Day, and I had the great privilege of speaking with Ananda Vrindavaneshwari Devi Dasi, the president of the Hare Krishna temple in Potomac, Maryland. We spoke about her first introduction to the Hare Krishnas, her travels, and her current work. I felt that there were many more interesting things to talk about, and I hope that we can do further interviews in the future. You can hear the Questions for the Sages podcast on QuestionsForTheSages.com, the Questions for the Sages Facebook page, iTunes, and on YouTube. Thank you, Ananda, and thanks to the Hare Krishna community of Potomac, Maryland, for making this podcast possible. Hello and welcome to Questions for the Sages, a podcast from the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Michael Scherer, and today I am speaking with... Ananda Vrindavan Esvri Devi Dasi. That's right, right? That's right. And um, Ananda, as you're referred to usually, um, is the president of the Hare Krishna temple in Potomac, Maryland. Sort of the the authority around here. Right? (laughs) 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 Um, You know, I today's Mother's Day so first of all I wanted to say happy Mother's Day
1: oh I thank you and
0: um, uh, there's actually a surprising number of people at this temple who say that uh, the reason that they're here has a lot to do with you well I don't mean to cause you stress (laughs) but um that's very kind of them it's true um and uh you know and and it's the same for me too, because um uh, in some ways, I feel like an outsider um, here I, I'm not sure I don't dress like a devotee. I don't uh, necessarily look and talk like a devotee, but i but I feel like I have a place here I can contribute um, without necessarily... Um, committing fully Mm
1: -hmm. to
0: the philosophy, the theology of it. Uh, I don't know, uh, you know, how deep of a psychological evaluation would be necessary to to get down to why I'm not fully committed or why I don't pull away either, you know. But but I do like it here. And I think that your being here has a lot to do with the environment here. So you were... uh, you were born in Ireland, weren't you?
1: I was. I was. I was <laughs> and you've born and raised in Ireland. Where in Ireland? In a little town called Newbridge, which was, which is uh, south of Dublin. Uh-huh. So, um, near Dublin.
0: And it's kind of, you're, you're a long way from from Ireland.
1: I yes, mean, you, thank you, God. <laughs> <laughs> really? You,
0: I mean, you've really, uh, you, you're, your life uh, must read in some ways like quite an adventure you know
1: um right i was born and raised in ireland with in a large family of three brothers and three sisters and my father was in the army um and so at a certain point when i was growing up i really kind of knew there had to be more to life than ireland or my small town and you know after i got to dublin which was like the big city and then i realized hey it's not so big anymore so um i had a desire to get out of ireland as a lot of irish people i think sometimes mm-hmm. do but as a lot of people a lot of people from any place in the world right sometimes want to move on so eventually when i finished my teaching degree it was an international degree as a montessori teacher so i was able to travel with that so i went to new york to teach new york city uh-huh that Was when i was about 20 20 because 20, i had my 21st I uh, stayed a while in New York, then I went to teach on Long Island, and then eventually I moved to Phoenix, so that was all within two or three years. I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, because I have a sister there who's still there, and I taught there this, for a year.
0: Did she have the same kind of uh, itch to, to move on? Like, how did she end up in
1: Yeah, Phoenix? well, my family, a lot of them um, at least traveled a bit before they settled down. Most of them are in Ireland right now, except myself and my sister. Uh, we live over here. But in the summertime, it was quite often that they would go and work in the States in the summertime um, when, you know, when they were in college. Right. kind of a lot of Irish people did that. So I came and then it was um, in Phoenix. I was always a bit bored with life, really, and I think that was kind of the itch to travel. And so at a certain point, I was just thinking, you know, what's the point of it all? You know, mm-hmm. you get up, you live the day, you go to bed and you get up again and you do it again and you go to bed. And so I had, I didn't know, I didn't know quite what I was looking for, but I certainly, um, and the other thing that really bothered me, and I grew up in Ireland with the troubles, right? The Northern mm-hmm. Ireland uh, situation. And I just, you know, why, why the suffering or why some people suffered and not others? It seemed to me really unfair. And so I never got. A, those answers, those questions, would niggle at me, and I'd, I'd be really looking for some, some reasonable answers.
0: Now, you were raised Catholic, right? I was. There was, uh, I mean, that was one venue or, or avenue of uh, potential solutions to these kinds of questions. Did you just not find it there? Did it not resonate with you?
1: Uh, yeah, no, it didn't resonate with me very much. I was, of course, um, went to school with the nuns, and I used to think. I'm definitely not going to be a nun because they look so miserable and they seem to me, you know, kind of not very happy. Now, looking back now, I could probably think, well, because I think through my practice of Krishna consciousness, I have a lot more appreciation for for Catholicism and particularly the mystics within Catholicism. But at that time, you know, I found the nuns not so um, compelling. Well, not so colourful, perhaps mm. is a good word for it. Yeah, not so nuanced, and so um, and the church itself. I mean, we would go to mass, but as my mother liked to call us, we were all a bit lapsed Catholics. You know, after we after I went to Dublin, moved out of my moved out of home, I didn't choose to go there anymore, and so it was. Part of my family, and I think it gave me a lot of good things. It gave me a sense of God's a person. My mother was very um, devotional, and she would go to mass every day, and she would pray a lot. And you know, I was raised in that. We we, at night we were all we had one room where we would all congregate every night and watch. Well, yeah, for the most part, we'd sit around the fire and watch a small little television in the corner. Mm. That was kind of like the living room, you know. And so you'd go there if you wanted to watch something or else you'd go up and study in the kitchen or something like that. So kind of a simple life. So, uh, but at a certain point the television would be turned off and then we'd all have to get on our knees and say the rosary, you know, uh, on the floor leaning into the couch. And a lot of times, you know, we'd, we'd be snickering and giggling and trying to contain ourselves you know with sisters and this and that but uh,
0: but it is it was a religious thing you know it's an t- italian chapa it right uh, yeah
1: <laughs> it was a rhythm you know and i look back again we did it because we had to do it and we went to mass and we got you know confessions you went to uh, you went to confession and i appreciate that it created a structure it created some kind of yeah. safety within it but when i really started to ask questions it didn't satisfy me right. it didn't satisfy me just because i thought you know yeah um it was a bit again coming back to it kind of though i didn't find a lot of depth in there for, for me at that point And I liked some of the hymns but for the most part it, it was kind of boring
0: yeah 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 so you you taught for a little while in new york city and then went to phoenix yeah. Both of which are sort of extremes of um,
1: geography
0: yeah. and yeah. personality, right?
1: Yeah, and Phoenix especially, oof, uh, just coming to a place that had nobody walking on the streets. Hmm. There are certain things I remember. Was I it remember a car that. culture Yeah, there? very flat. Yeah. And you wouldn't have any life on the streets, and I thought that was very strange, and I found that uh, just kind of a bit lonely. So Phoenix really also pushed me a bit to really ask the question, you know, what's the point of life, mm. you know. Um, and was this
0: conscious, like, were you, were you, were you you, know, consciously wondering this, or is this in retrospect? That
1: no, I was consciously wondering at the time. I do a lot of reading.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, you know, I'd like to, you know, go to, you know, artsy films, alternative kind of poetry, reading, literature, movie. I loved all that kind of stuff that would that would push those questions that would ask those questions that would reflect on the nature of life and the nature of relationships and you know time and death and all those kind of things mm. i found all of those things i would gravitate towards that
0: mhm so you were teaching montessori in, in in phoenix
1: yeah yeah
0: and how was that i mean were you lonely
1: no, I mean, in the sense I wasn't lonely that um, I was busy with kids most of the day, but I got bored, mm. you know, even teaching, although teaching, once you're in the moment teaching, can't really be bored because you've got kids no. pulling at you, but um, yeah, I didn't find, I, I think I found a social life there, but it, again, it was just, you know, I always thought if I left Ireland and went to America, I'd find something different but you you tend to find the same types of people Mm. everywhere you go they may have a different language but then they kind of fall into these categories and I began to recognize that and you know patterns were emerging and I found myself more of an observer at times than a participant Mm. you know and I'd see wow this is unfolding and that's unfolding and that's happening and that's not happening so uh, in one sense you're the architect of your future in the other sense you uh, I would be kind of I would feel stuck or I've I felt a little bit like, um, yeah, not, not, not sure about
0: did, everything. Did the sort of the Native American um, uh, aspects of Phoenix appeal to you <clears> at all? Did you look into that at all?
1: Uh, I regret I didn't now because uh. I really, I really, um, I really love parts of that culture. And I think I might've read Buried My, Very Very Buried, Buried, Buried,
0: Buried My Heart Buried at Wounded Knee.
1: Wounded Knee, which is a really powerful book for me. Yeah. But I didn't actually go in in depth. I found a lot of that also, um, you know, kind of touristy,
0: yeah. a little bit. Yeah.
1: Um, and I didn't dig deeper and meet real people. Um, and I, I I I I would like to do that now, just because especially the spirituality, the Native American spirituality, shares a lot of, of, oh, the yeah. mood. That we have in terms mm-hmm. of sacredness of the earth and, you know, slowing down a slower and more connected mm-hmm. lifestyle.
0: So, what happened in Phoenix?
1: Um, in Phoenix, I actually um, met a devotee of Krishna.
0: It was this the at first a party, first one you had ever met. <laughs>
1: Yes, in person. Oh, no, actually, when I was in New York, when I landed in New York, I actually met the devotees in, in Central Park at the Krishna Rath Festival.
0: And were you involved at all, or just no. a, a yeah, bystander? No, yeah, was just a
1: bystander, and I saw them coming in, and I thought, oh, how nice, and I actually followed them, and there was a huge crowd of people, and there was a big stage, and I watched for a while, and I met this one nice devotee, and we chatted. She was also a teacher. Mm-hmm. so that was a first encounter and then um i uh when i was in phoenix i was at a party at christmas time and i met a person there and um he was connected he wasn't fully practicing but he was connected and we talked a lot and then he gave me a book uh planting the seed which was a biography of the founder of the Krishna Movement, Srila Prabhupada, and I really loved that book. That book had a huge impact on me mm. because I, I felt like I recognized this person, or I just felt I could trust this person. And I remember when I would read other books, Hermann has this and that, and I'd always think, yeah, you know, maybe they're right, or maybe their angle on life is right, but somehow with Prabhupada, the, the, I, I, I just had this aha moment.
0: Really, right. with yeah. the book?
1: Yeah, just with that book, that biography, and and I thought I have to meet this man. I I really like who he is on the pages of this book.
0: And at that point, was that a possibility to meet him? I
1: found out later it wasn't because he this was like in eighty two and he'd passed away in seventy eight. So then I I then um, so I went. Uh, looking for him, there was a center, a small center in Tucson at that time, or maybe in, in Tempe, in Phoenix, actually, and uh, that was connected to San Diego. So I went there and um, found out that Prabhupada had passed away. But then I picked up the Bhagavad Gita there, and I read that, and I also really loved that book. For me, it was it was an enchanting read. It was like a story of this man's struggle, and Krishna was asked. You know, he was asking questions and Krishna was answering him and so many of my questions were answered when I read that book. Mm. I couldn't put it down, just read it all in one go, stayed up late one night. So, yeah, that was really great. At that point I was, um, I was already a vegetarian and I was into yoga and stuff like that. And I was into protecting the planet and all the good things. So, But I found when I read Prabhupada and I read the Gita that You know, that included, it was very inclusive. It wasn't just save the whale and, you know, eat the rest of the animals. It was like all animals are sacred. And it wasn't that you just worship the earth, but there was, you know, God was a person, yet the earth was also to be maintained. I just found this lovely culture of respect and this sense of the spirit pervading everything. And of course, the idea that we're eternal and that the, the karma, the law of karma made so much sense to me. In other words, it all made sense to me in a really practical way. And it was like one thing fit into another, fit into another, and I, I just i just f- felt very comfortable with it. When I look back now, I think it was almost like I was picking up from where I left off, perhaps, or I, it felt like I recognized an old friend, or it mm-hmm. felt like I'd foundly found a practice that I felt I could work with that I could trust trust well, was a big thing for me you,
0: you, you say you found a practice but but so far you've only talked about finding a book <laughs> <laughs> so it, how quickly did you transition from I like this book to I want to do this practice
1: yeah that's true a, a while I mean I never I didn't go off running to find a temple actually I wanted to go to India at at that point Uh so by a practice I mean that I was doing some chanting but it was more like at at this point it wasn't a committed practice but more that way of seeing the world I would say A, a, a practice of viewing life through the lens of Krishna Bhakti or Krishna consciousness to be conscious of of life and to be conscious of the presence of life in everything and to be conscious of the journey of life and the journey of the soul i loved that idea that we're travellers or travellers in time and travellers in bodies and the sense of being observers uh, the sense of being able to transcend you know the different categories of the modes of nature the influences the life energies that you know goodness and then passion and then you know those dark energies material energies so all of those things i just i just it was easy for me to relate to them.
0: So, I would imagine that that must have sort of um, turbocharged your desire to visit India. Did, it, did you already want to go?
1: Yes, and I had, I had a friend who was in New York. Uh, she was a friend from Ireland, um, uh, but her, her father's Indian and her mother was Irish, and they had separated. But she, she and I were good friends, and um, so she was in New York. And I wrote her and I said, well, let's go to India together. She said, like, great, well, give me a month or so. I have to finish up a job here and then we'll travel on. So I said, okay. And then I um, decided to to finish up my job in Phoenix and I would travel a bit. So I traveled. I actually went to Hawaii for a while and then I came back to San Diego. And I had known some of the devotees from San Diego when I was in Phoenix because they would come out to Phoenix Mm. a lot. So I went to the temple there and they said, well, why don't you stay for couple of weeks with us, there's a festival coming up, it's Krishna's birthday. So I said, oh great, I'll do that. So I stayed and uh, helped out a little bit and, you know, uh, attended some classes and started chanting with the mantra meditation on beads, japa. And um, I felt really happy. And so then after John Mastry was over, I was like, okay, so I'm heading off now. And I say, well, actually, to me is a really good festival. That's <laughs> Radha's birthday, so why don't you stay for that? So I was like, okay, you know. I, and I told my friend in New York, I'm, I'm coming, you know, in a few weeks. And after to meet And I kind of knew at this point that it seems I'm meant to be here. I kind of felt at home.
0: Mm-hmm. In in the temple?
1: yeah. But, uh, um, <laughs> but I didn't want to admit it. So I said, well, after all, I'm leaving. And so, because now, I wasn't quite ready. I mean, I was, never imagined it, myself being joining like a full-time temple, like a missionary, you know, yeah. or something like that. And
0: was this something you didn't want to admit to yourself or to your sister or, or to your family? Was, was that oh, a complicated thing?
1: No. No, it's more to myself in the sense that you know when you know that yeah this is really what you should do but there's you know you always there's a bit of giving up a freedom or there's a choice there yeah and i and i don't like to take things lightly you know if i if i do something i like to keep my word and do it you know so then um so then after that festival i said well there's just one more festival that you really can't miss (laughs) so stay for that (laughs) which was what Govardhan Puja, right, the hill, the festival building, this hill of sweets. So I said, okay, um, very easily twisted my arm. Um, at that point, I, I, I just decided, well, I'm going to stay and, and, you know, do this seriously for a while. And I told my family who, you know, didn't, couldn't really quite figure out what I was doing. And, I, yeah. you know, this was in the 80s, so there was this bit of a sense that I joined a cult and stuff. Um,
0: Did you ever feel like you had joined a cult? No, no.
1: And I always knew I could leave as well. Mm. I always knew I had that freedom. I never felt at any moment that, you know, I would be forced to stay. Right. And the Temple of San Diego, there was a very good temple president there who really never, you know, was just a normal, nice guy, right? So I never felt I was part of a cult. I mean, there was differences of opinion or people did their spiritual practice. But they were just more like odd people as opposed to, you know, a cult-like mentality. In fact, the more in, there were so many individuals, you couldn't be a cult in the sense of, like, we're all robots and we had no, you we know, had to just do everything we were told. Yeah. It was a much more, on, and I, I think because of my Catholic upbringing and the whole notion of, of monastic life and living simply, and just dedicating your life to service. And all those things were were easy and understandable. And, um, and I, I just, uh, I got into it. I just jumped right in then and really um, did the practice. The practice of surrender and the practice of rising early in the morning and chanting Krishna's names. Did you go on Hari Nam? I went a little bit on Hari Nam, um, out on the streets and also... Um, I did a little bit of um selling books, but mostly because I was a teacher, I got involved with the school over there, and that became a main service for me for a while teaching yeah, teaching and then services around the temple and you know festivals and stuff so yeah, that was a really happy time of my life. I was single. And, just involved with a really good group of people who were Mm. energetic and um, enthusiastic about their own spiritual life and efforts to teach others.
0: And what were the, you know, as good as that was, I would imagine that there were difficulties and struggles of some kind.
1: Um, Surprisingly few, really. I just I, I, again, I've I've heard or seen in other temples where there may have been different kinds of managers, but at the time when I was at the San Diego Temple, there was just a lot of really, really smart, good people, and there was mm. just really good experiences of 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 you know serving together and uh, learning really great classes and um, opportunities to do interesting things so I didn't have and I think also at that time and maybe be my nature I, I, I don't get overly involved with people or I'm not don't get into politics or I'm not a big on gossip and so I kind of got on with everybody anyway and I, mm. I had decided that you know this is a serious thing a spiritual practice is a serious thing and I'm, and I really want to get i really want to practice self-realization r- realizing myself beyond the body which demanded um, not demanded but which you know and so the practice of doing that was a, you know a, f- a full day of study and service so in a sense it was kind of like being a nun but it w- in a, but in a different tradition
0: mm-hmm. you know and maybe it was a little that, more colorful
1: uh, yeah, literally with cloth, and um, you know, I was involved in the temple, and at at that s- soon I was able to be on the altar and and be involved with the deity worship and all of those kind of things. So, I really loved it. You know, I yeah. loved the the joy I found, the beauty. I loved the philosophy. I mean, maybe that's that you know, and because I love it, I'm still around hmm. um, doing it. But I think there's, I think. The philosophy and practice of Krishna consciousness is so broad and, you know, Krishna opens a door super wide that you can, there's so many ways that you can connect with him whether it's through kirtan or through reading or through serving or through relationships with others and I just found it, um, um, you know, uh, uh, a good time in my life.
0: Did you go to India with your friend in New York?
1: Never. Oh, you didn't. didn't? She came out eventually to San Diego and stayed with me for a while. We're still good friends.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, she's back in Ireland now, and uh, we both, we have great spiritual conversations. But, um, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to think if I, if I, you know, beyond the, I didn't really have a lot of struggles. I hmm. didn't really have a lot of struggles in those early days. I found a lot of shelter in the philosophy, you know, I found, I found, um, there's a, there's a Sanskrit word that says Keval Ananda Kanda, that this is the path of Ananda, happiness. Mm-hmm. Keval Ananda Kanda. And I just would find, um, lots of pockets of joy, deep pockets in my life surrounded by a temple life.
0: So you were... Teaching there too, San Diego.
1: Yeah, there was a small school there, a temple school, like primary school. So I ended up uh, being quite involved in that for a while.
0: And where did you go from there?
1: Then I got invited to go to India. By who? <laughs> well, by uh, at that point, after I lived in San Diego for about seven years, and then um, I met my husband. He was from Detroit, but he was in San Diego for a while, and. Uh, it was suggested that we might make a good couple and so we met and um, got to know each other over a year and then um, he was invited to go to Vrindavan that's uh, Krishna's place in India, northern India near Delhi to teach in the they have a, an adult education like Kita uh, school or Bhakti Shastri VIHE, Vrindavan Institute for Higher Education. So he was invited to teach there. And I went along um, because there's a big international school there. I'd you went along, along I as went his with wife him.
0: or as his fiancee? Yeah,
1: fiance. We got married in India.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember when your first trip to India? I do. What happened? Phew.
1: It was in 1989. Boy, that time it was really a big deal, too you know, go to India, there was very little in India. Nowadays, you can, it's like, it's become such one world, but then we landed in Vrindavan, there wasn't, I think there was about, you'd see one car a day. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was all bicycles or.
0: But were there a lot of people? Like pilgrimage, uh, pilgrims and things?
1: Yeah, more now than there was then, but it was more of a sleepy village then, and they would swell at different times of years. For, for a year, for, for pilgrims. But at that time, no plastic bags, you know, anything you went to the market, they would, you know, they made little little bags out of paper bags for you to give your groceries, and it was so beautiful, but austere, like anything. Mm. You know, electricity would go off all the time, and in the winter, there was no hot water, and, you know. Was
0: it was it what you expected? Did it surprise you?
1: Um. It didn't surprise me because I didn't really have any expectations, um, and I was more like starry-eyed because it was considered such a sacred place.
0: And you had that, read all about it, I, I suppose. Yeah,
1: and I had actually been there once before, about three years before, just on a, on a short visit.
0: And, on a, so I, that was, I, I was your first visit?
1: Pre- yeah, actually that was my first visit, and I was so intimid- intimidated by the sacredness of it all that I was, I was only in Vrindavan for, I think, three or four days, and I really, you know kept my mouth shut and my eyes down you know I really wanted to just kind of honor the place and not not
0: not be a tourist
1: yeah something like that so when I went back to live um when you live somewhere you get to know it in a different in a different way but the first year was kind of difficult I was newly married and and newly moved away from Friends in San Diego and just in Vrindavan with, um, at that point, there weren't a lot of people who spoke English there at all, or a lot of other Westerners. But, um, so yeah, at times that was kind of difficult.
0: Hot, and, and, and I would imagine the people were different than any people you'd lived among.
1: The people in Vrindavan?
0: Yeah, and the people in India.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course, Um you know, an Irish girl and
0: mm-hmm.
1: married to an American. But they were and they weren't. You know, once you settle in there, you know, your neighborhood becomes your neighborhood. And then you begin to again see the same type of people. The same, yeah. They speak a different language, but there's kind of different moods, different energies. You know, you can, you know.
0: So you weren't completely adrift. You, I mean, you sort of...
1: No, I wasn't. And also I had work. I was teaching. And so again, you know,
0: we, we
1: go mad in life if we don't have things to do. you know and so one must keep oneself busy and active and and you're blessed if you can find things you love to do and so I love to be around kids and I had my first class was 11 children and they didn't speak a word of English and I didn't speak a word of Hindi
0: well how did that happen like who arranged that
1: that was kind of like it was back then you know you just Krishna Krishna you know you just kind of there's still the beginnings of our movement on many levels and you know um, I was there to teach them English so good thing that I didn't speak any of their language because okay. they were supposed they were forced to learn mine, but and they did, and we had a great time. Hmm. So yeah, I was busy and it was hot and the food wasn't great, but you know, it was an adventure.
0: Did, and did it was it always a holy place? Was it always um, Vrindavan? You know, like, or did did the sort of the magical spiritual nature of the place did that dissipate over time as you got used to it
1: um yes and yes and no um there's vrindavan uh, uh, krishna is so rich in vrindavan that it's it's hard it was hard for it to become an ordinary place for me i think i might have taken it for granted from time to time just because you do you know familiarity breeds Casual, casualness or not not necessarily contempt but it breeds kind of like but there was a sweetness, there's always a sweetness in Vrindavan, and sometimes I'll feel it here at dawn or twilight or at dusk you know, there's a certain sweetness in the air so in Vindavan that sweetness is quite thick, you can actually feel it um, another thing would happen to me was because it's such a place of pilgrimage so there'd be people coming in saying wow, I'm in Vrindavan and I'd be i say, oh, great, thank you for reminding me that, you know, it's such a sacred place. So, uh, yeah, they're, 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 I became, um, they, they say that it's just a great fortune to get to live in Vrindavan. And I would also come out every summer because it was very hot. And so then that made me appreciate just being able to go back for another year after spending a few months in the summer here. So I think overall I remembered it was Vrindavan. I might have become a bit comfortable, but then Krishna would quickly shake that up with a reminder here and there. But the thing about Vrindavan, and if you, when I would go out in the morning, I would always touch, I would always touch the earth to my head and just to remind me that I walk on sacred ground. Um, of course one can, the earth, you, one, one could say anywhere in the earth is sacred, but there are certain places that are that are certainly designated to being sacred, very full, you know, very mm-hmm. full of spiritual energy, and and sometimes you know the curtain, you'd feel that, you'd feel that in Vrindavan. you'd feel just, like the word I, I keep coming back to, there's just a, a certain sweetness there, and it was very easy to remember Krishna there. Very easy to it was all Krishna coming in. You didn't have to there wasn't a lot of other energies you had to worry about because everybody in that whole town, it's all there's thousands and thousands of temples and everybody's just coming in to see Krishna. So there's all just this natural flow, this river of devotion kind of swirling through the atmosphere there. And so you're very quickly, you know, brought back into that.
0: And how long were you teaching there?
1: I lived in Rindavan for 21 years and taught most of the time. I took five years off when my son Gopinath was born, but most of the rest of the time I was involved
0: in the school. And those five years, did you come back to the States, or did you still live in Rindavan? I stayed.
1: Yeah, we lived there the whole time. We would come to the States during the summer, sometimes to Ireland, sometimes to America, because the two seasons, May and June, June, May and June were extremely hot. In Vrindavan. Mm. So the school was closed and I only stayed there one summer. The summer I was pregnant I stayed during those summer months, but they're very, very hot and very dry.
0: You know, you mentioned uh, when you were in Phoenix that you were, what, beginning to uh, develop a spiritual life and an understanding of yourself separate from your body. Um, I don't know uh, you know not and I, I realize not everyone has the inclination to really uh, describe this, but um, what happened over those 21 years like spiritually did you did you become an advanced <laughs> sadhu and uh, learn to levitate or or was it were you pretty regular the, the whole time or uh, like did you could you were there any markers of advancement? Or, or was it a constant um, being a beginner?
1: Didn't learn to levitate.
0: Oh, okay. That's Still for working sure. on that. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: you know, in the in it, it, in the line of of making progress in Krishna consciousness. Um, Sometimes you feel like you're, you know, you're going somewhere, and other times you feel like you're just a beginner. At least I'll speak for myself. Yeah. Um, and because ultimately it's about a relationship and 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 developing feelings of affection for Krishna and feelings of love for Krishna and um, you know sensing Krishna's presence in your life or trusting Krishna. Um, So, I think I have a long way to go. I know I have a long way to go in terms of, um, on one level, experiencing high levels of spiritual ecstasy, like love, pure, pure, pure love for Krishna. But at other times I feel, well, I'm just really happy trying to be a servant or um, helping others, you know, helping those devotees around me, helping them serve. So there is a, a path, a trajectory, you know, a little bit of faith, and then love grows, and, and then that you get a little less, a little more detached from the world, and a little more attached to Krishna. So I feel I'm, I feel I'm going on at fairly well. I think Vrindavan with some very deep impressions in, in, in my soul
0: um, that you may or may not be aware of sort of
1: yes but that that, um, that I come back to you know that it just describes that spiritual life, life is like a razor's edge and that the material energy is really strong so it's not like you know at any moment you could you know even when you've been practicing for many many years you can still you know fall off well, yeah, or just kind of, um, yeah, face a challenge or a struggle perhaps with with the false ego or subtle desires. Things are exposed. You know, recently I read a quote from the founder saying that, you know, you can tell you're advanced about, by how envious you are of others. And if you're envious, you're in the material world. And if you're not envious of others, you're in the spiritual world. He says, boss, that's all. That's how you check yourself. Hmm. So, on, uh, you know, there's nothing in 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 a sense you can see very clearly where you you are you know how do you feel towards others how do you feel towards God how do you feel towards spiritual things or how attracted are you to you know the gross things of this world or how how attracted are you to kirtan and chanting Krishna's name or being around people who who want to um, who want to break the cycle of birth and death so for me there's there's different markers of you know how well you're doing on your spiritual practice and, and some of them is just the ability to get up and complete your prescribed number of rounds which is which those which those of us who practice seriously or make a commitment to practice and take a spiritual teacher which is a lifelong commitment to chant for you know to meditate for about an hour and a half every day or 2 hours to chant krishna's name you know, and how, and how you honor that.
0: And that is, fu- it kind of functions as a marker.
1: Yeah. It's it's kind of like when you, when, and how good you are as a person. And, in other words, uh, like when I read the story of Srila Prabhupada and I thought, God, he's just such, he's so personable. He's just such a real person and like really cares for people. You know, so to me that's a level of spiritual advancement that you can, it, like spiritual advancement means in, in one sense you're more connected to the world and you're more connected to people and you're more connected to really you know, expressing your care. You know? For others and again it, it depends on who you are as an individual for, for others their expression of spiritual advancement may be more withdrawal from the world the, the interesting thing about Krishna consciousness is finding how you can best serve Krishna. It's like Arjuna, right? You know, his spiritual advancement, because it was in the end he actually said, Okay, Krishna, I'm going to trust you on this and I'm going to fight this battle because that's actually what I'm good at and I'm going to do it for you, you know? And so we make that choice every day in, in the things we do. Um, the, our, 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 the, the, our sacred books will describe the gopis who are considered not very educated but because they just love krishna so much that they are considered their level of devotion and their expression of devotion is considered the topmost like the highest level of expression and so again it, it's kind of moving from the head and we have this brilliant philosophy i love to read about philosophy i love to read about not being the body i love to read about the nature of the soul and the cosmos and the whole incredible structure of the universe and yet it also has to come to the heart. You actually have to fall in love with Krishna, the original person to mm-hmm. whom we all belong, and that we're well, all you know. made from. So, uh, uh, in trying to define are you sp- uh, is one spiritually advanced, you know, on, on one level, externally, you can on one level not judge anybody um, because you don't know their consciousness or you don't know what's going on in their rela- in their interior relationship with Krishna Mm-hmm. but in another level you can judge them to a certain extent by their disposition, by how they interact with others, about how they interact with the world.
0: There's clues there.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But you know, since since I've asked you about spiritual advancement, all of, um, all of your descriptions, and I, I suppose this is natural, but I think that... Other religions have um, tried to address this issue, and that is everything involves you as an individual and how you feel. Um, you know how 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 do you feel about Krishna? How is your practice? How is what is your emotional state? But as a temple president, you have to look at uh, this on a on a community basis. So you have to sort of expand out from a personal uh, individual's um, spiritual advancement to how are we operating as a group. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a little bit different, I think. Um, because then it's like, well, you know, what rules are we following in terms of our behavior with each other as opposed to, well, ultimately... Does it just matter how I feel about God or does it matter how I behave with other people? You know what I mean? And these are a little bit different. And I think um, leaders of religious groups uh, try to push the community or the interactive elements so that people can cohere and develop the um, environment to cultivate spirituality. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Is that something you've had to shift on?
1: Well, for me, there's two things. There's your own personal spiritual practice, which is time alone with Krishna, um, as well as there's the organizational, the organization. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the organization can drive you nuts just because organizations can be difficult. Um, And your own personal time with Krishna is both your own quiet time. Like, there's four relationships. You could say your relationship with God, your relationship with your spiritual teacher, really important, relationship with community, your spiritual community, which would be the organization, and your relationship with yourself, right, Um, in terms of making sure that, you know, um, you spend time on things that are good for the self, which we would say on your personal time with prayer or meditation with Krishna, and of course they're all interrelated, but I think it's really important for, for, for a balance to be there, that you have to be an organization it's ultimately your responsibility for your relationship with krishna now the organization helps because we need each other and we and part of our relationship with krishna and part of our relationship with our spiritual master is to be able to give back to the mission Mm. of of giving other people an opportunity to hear and understand and learn about krishna or get this information that tells them hey guess what you're not this body isn't that a wonderful thing to know you're something so much more than this thing that you're stuck in, that's going to die eventually. So, the organ- one one has to have a positive attitude to both the organization, but not lose oneself in the organization. And we have this wonderful sutra in this philosophy of Christian consciousness, which it's called simultaneously one and different. And I find myself using it all the time. And it's called a Chinchya beta beta tatva. Tatva means truth. It's the truth is that Krishna is, that we, that Krishna himself is inconceivably, simultaneously one with and different from all of us. Right? So, um, I'm from, I'm, and, and this simultaneously one with and different is we as spirit souls, because we're made from Krishna's energy. So we're non-different from Krishna in that way, but we're always, different from krishna we're one with and we're different um god is one with everything and he's different from everything right he's an individual he's the original individual well yeah i mean i can
0: i can i say like i'm nodding my head yeah like yeah but it doesn't make any sense it's inconceivable that's why we have that inconceivable part there it's like right yeah okay i mean i have to trust you on that one
1: yes and you know I have to trust Krishna on that one and because we're dealing with something much bigger than both of us there's an element of trust but I'm saying this getting back to the idea of that we're simultaneously one with the organization and different from Mm -hmm. it and the organization helps us achieve our goal and the goal of life which is to really rediscover that original relationship we have with Krishna that's 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 what's on the books right Mm -hmm. um And we have to do it ourselves, we have to want it. Um, But we can't do it alone. We need friendship, we need guides, we need teachers, we need also the opportunity and we need to give back by helping others or helping people in the world that are suffering. And for us, the biggest suffering is the suffering of lack of knowledge or a complete sense of who you are in the bigger scheme of things. So we were asking about how do you balance out basically You know, the organization and worrying about a lot of other people, uh, Mm -hmm. and and about yourself. And again, it it, you interact. You try to create environments, and try to create an environment at the temple where people will feel comfortable to come and and sit and 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 marinate in a spiritual atmosphere that will help them become conscious of who they are beyond the body and who they are in relationship with Krishna. Because it's just like we have the eyes to see, but we don't have anything to see. We can't see anything until, we, until the sun comes up. Our eyes are dependent
0: mm.
1: on light to see something. And so we are an individual spiritual soul, but we actually can't realize ourselves until we're in touch with Krishna. That's just like that light switch that helps us see ourselves. And so the temple has to create comfortable environments that anybody from any walk of life or any upbringing or any religion or any practice can come here and get a sense of whatever designation I have in this world Irish, Catholic, married to New York New Yorker, who's Jewish, whatever, all those are now I'm a devotee of Krishna, those are all um, you know external designations because ultimately I'm spiritual by nature, I have this, all these, bo- these body and the my names connected to this body are, are temporary things, and so a temple has to be kind of neutral ground, or we would say transcendental ground, where somebody can walk in and and actually experience the freedom of knowing that there's this this beautiful, as Guru would say, playful, charming, you know, person who lives in our heart, this this original supreme Lord that we're really encouraged or in empowered to or facilitated to deepen our relationship with.
0: Now, I don't want to end our story um, because you're in Vrindavan for 21 years.
1: <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Huh? How did you end up here? I know. Did you
0: come here from Vrindavan?
1: I did, although my husband's family lives in the, in this, in the area, so we would come here during the summertime. And my... I had done 10 years as principal of the school, and I always think 10 is a good number. So mm-hmm. my time in Vrindavan kind of naturally came to an end. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking of staying in Vrindavan, but then we were invited to come here and do some service here for a while. And we thought, why not come to America? For so you didn't
0: come here to be the president of the temple or I did, did. You? yeah. That, that was that service, understood. That was the service that, that was doing? offered to me, yeah. And when you came here, what did you find?
1: Oh, something wonderful. Really? <laughs> I found so many green trees. It was really mm-hmm. funny because the part of India I lived in was kind of deserty-like. Uh-huh. And so I think for the first year here, we, the property out here at Potomac is just so blessed with, we live on 12 acres and there's just lots of trees. There's a little forested area in the back and there's a flood plain, so it's, it's very green and and I think the first year I just kind of drank in, in these big beautiful trees, which mm. you didn't have in the part of India I lived in. But I found a beautiful community, um, a temple here that uh, really has a beautiful set of deities. One of Krishna is the first deity that was given to Prabhupada, so it's a little historic. It was the first given deity given to ISKCON actually, way back in 1969, I think. Um, and I just found it very, a refreshing change from working and worrying about children to working with adults.
0: Working, Worrying about adults. And not worrying about oh, adults. Oh, no, <laughs> worrying about
1: adults. <laughs> it's like, I don't need to worry about you. You're all grown up. So that was a nice change. And so I really um, felt, and you know how you know in life that this is where I'm supposed to be right now. So I felt that when well, I was I in Well, I have always felt that. I,
0: you know. It's not been that often, but yeah. you know, I suppose occasionally. Yeah. But you really feel like you've found you, you, you're in the right place.
1: Yeah, right now, right
0: now. I and how long have you been right temple president here?
1: Uh, now and then, I, 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 when when the work of the temple president gets too much, I, I think seriously, am I in the right place? But <laughs> overall, I feel like I'm <laughs> in the right place. Uh
0: uh-huh. And how long has it been?
1: Uh, six six years now.
0: So what? We got four more years.
1: 10 is my lucky number uh-huh. yeah yeah i think that's healthy i mean let's see but i think it's nice to um to um yeah keep you know keep that open to see where i can best serve i mean mm-hmm. ultimately that's my mood where can i best serve and it seemed at that point in rindavan that my service at the school was just coming to a natural finish and then i would ask you know, I took a little time to reflect, you know, how where can I best serve? How can I best serve? I don't have a lot of things to worry about in my personal life, so I have time to give. And where can I best give that time?
0: And what would you like to see happen here?
1: Oh, so many things. Really? Yeah. I'd love this to be. Um, of course, right now they're in. There's a, a group of people working on uh, building a little bit of a bigger temple. So building a new temple building, but I really think this place, my dream would be, and I'm not the only one dreaming. So, um, but to be to have some nice facilities where people could come and do some retreats or immersion programs, they could actually stay here for three weeks, a month, a few months, and just. Practice bhakti, practice uh, living the lifestyle of a a bhakti yogi. See, bhakti is a a yoga practice, and yoga means, um, there's different types of yoga, but this is considered the yoga of the heart, where you do certain things to um, connect. Yoga means to connect. So if you live at a temple like I do, um, the first service in the morning is at 4.30 a.m., now, I get up earlier than that to do my my mantra chanting because the earlier hours are better for me. They work really well for mm-hmm. me. But 4.30 is when we're at the temple, and then there's more mantra chanting. So you would just immerse yourself in a life of prayer and devotion and meditation and, and just focusing on learning about Krishna and learning how to serve Krishna in a way that makes Krishna happy. For example... You know, if you're a person, and I would say, Mike, how can I make you happy? And you'd say to me, oh, I wanted to interview you for a long time in kind I interview you. And I'd say, okay, that's how I'm going to make Mike happy. I'm going to say, yes, interview me. So it's a little bit the same with Krishna. There's things that the scriptures teach how to make God happy, right? What to do to make, put a smile on Krishna's face. So to live at a temple, I would love to be able to provide people an opportunity to do that, not just to come on Sunday for a service or two, but to actually live here for a while and really experience a whole day just immersed in that. And I read this lovely definition of brahmachari the other day. Brahmachari is at the name of a celibate monk, a celibate student. Brahmacharini would be the female of that. And a brahmachari, one translation of that means one who's... S- spending time in pursuit of spiritual happiness. It's going to to spend some time um, doing spiritual things to nurture, to nourish the heart, to 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 experience spiritual happiness or to experience happiness in life. And I thought that was brahmacharya also means celibacy. It means living simply. It means lie, lying on the floor, perhaps um, rising early, cold showers. You know, there's all kinds of things that a yogi will do and brahmacharya will do and be in the mood of. Just being a servant of the servant of the servant, like, really, you're not the most important person. You know, learning how to be experience the, the absolute joy of humility, or feeling, I am insignificant, and that's okay. That's a wonderful thing. And just and and of course reflection, because when you when you chant Krishna's name, this mantra, this Hare Krishna mantra, is actually, I was just thinking about this this morning, it's such a powerful mantra, but um, it really uh, opens things up inside and if you're ready for that, or ready for that journey, ready for that relationship with Krishna some you know amazing things happen. So I I think this property is such a good property because it's close enough to the city to uh, let people who need to come for an extended period of time and who should come for an extended period of time. You know sometimes Mm -hmm. when we go out to meet people on the street we tell them you know we're here to remind you that you're important the spiritual you is important and you need to take time to to nurture that, to 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 grow that. There's a story that says that this woman had a bird in the cage and she was very busy shining the outside. She was so busy shining the outside of the cage that she actually forgot to feed the bird. And so lifestyles today tend to keep us really busy and that we really don't give time for for Prayer, reflection, study of philosophy, asking those those important questions of life, facing the hard questions of pain and death and suffering and I think I think to create it's like spiritual you know temples are like temples are so important temples or churches or places in society they're just like parks and cities they're very important mm. to give people some fresh air, you know, some fresh. Perspectives.
0: Okay, so you'd like to set up a sort of retreat center or, or and a retreat program.
1: Yeah, I'd so love to do that. What else? Um. I would like to just see some really um, good things for kids. Mm-hmm. You no know, good programming for kids at the temple or program could take out again to help kids get a sense of themselves beyond just um what life or school or media or um family just you know to give them another way to shape a sense of themselves beyond just the body the body they have or they don't have or the body they wish they have or the mind or you know so i think we have a lot of really nice information to help kids feel good about themselves and good about what they can offer the world so I'd love to see some good kid programming that's the that's the teacher in me the primary Uh secondary teacher in me coming out um yeah I'd love to just see our creek we have a beautiful creek running through the property I'd love to see all that restored and that we can be stewards of the environment and again to create an oasis for people to come and really feel that they have some shelter like I can go to the Krishna temple and sit there beside the creek and, and, you know, have a good conversation with God or have a good conversation with another person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it might not be that our answers, our questions are all answered because life is not so black and white. And sometimes we, we a lot of times we live in the territory of uncertainty or difficulty, but that you can come here and, and feel some shelter that there is a reason, you are part of a bigger picture, and, um, you know, you can get a lot of strength from that relationship with
0: Krishna. Now, we don't know exactly who's listening to this podcast or, or who will listen, so what exactly do you need? Like, where, I mean, you, you want to have a retreat center and a, a place where this can happen. Is there anything preventing that from happening, or is there is there some kind of contribution that's still needed to to get to there to that point
1: Yeah, it's just in the early um planning phase but yeah, obviously um,
0: like what do you what are you looking for? What what what, what, what do you need to get there? Uh,
1: finances, money and plans and
0: to, to, you know. to do what? To develop the property. Well, yeah,
1: yeah, buildings. Yeah. Sorry, now I'm getting your oh, okay. question. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we just need, right now we're, we're in a small space and we have just limited housing for people who live here and serve full time. But so we need to expand that and create uh, some um, dorms or living facilities. And it's part of a master plan we're working on. The first phase is the new temple building itself, but then the second phase would be some residential. The third phase would be an educational center. So it's, a, it's a, an ongoing project we're working at. Yeah. So, yeah, just uh, buildings, really, and programming, and developing the program, and getting the right people, the right teachers.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, one question I, I like to ask is, there's a lot of activities here. There's kirtans, there's deity worship, um, kids' programs. Um, what do you gravitate to? what do you like the most
1: um, I like the talks the most philosophy really yeah
0: you like the the Sunday talks yeah or just talks in general
1: it talks in general I mean I like I like the books I like the philosophy but I I love a good presentation I love a good lecture or a good talk as we call them Yeah. Uh, but I, but it's hard to say I love I mean the kirtan is great I love the kirtan um, uh-huh. I love on Sundays seeing people just interact with each other and kind of sit under a tree and you know have a conversation but yeah personally um, I love how language can move people I love how uh, you know people can be inspired to go away and ask more questions or perhaps pick up the Bhagavad Gita or the Bhagavatam and seek more answers or or be more, um, just be more awake, be more conscious in life. You know, we talk about Krishna consciousness. Sometimes we just have to come to the level of consciousness, you know, (laughs) and just kind of mindfulness of the day and mindfulness of the temporary nature of the world. There's one of our songs that says, um, life is just like a drop of water on a lotus petal. And a lotus leaf is very waxy, so the water runs off. The minute something would tip the leaf, the water would disappear. So life is so temporary, and I love how language and um, the talks in particular um, or some of the music will remind you of that, remind us all of that, so that we can not live in the shadow, you know, not in a gloomy way, um, but in a way that's simultaneously makes us really be grateful and be alive for the moment and also be a little bit prepared that um, you know this, this life is temporary but it's not the end mm. and that we really are so much it's, it's not just that we're not the body but that we are something much more than the body and we exist on much more finer and interesting and exciting ways and that the body is such a limitation on, 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 the spirit self, and just the promise of that, you know, the the invitation that Krishna extends, that says, "Come on, people, don't, you know, don't get stuck in this pathetic little world of yours, you know. <laughs> There's a whole universe out there waiting for you." So I love that. I love the the generosity. I love the generosity of Krishna consciousness. The generosity that Krishna's hand that he extends to us, offers us. It's just an invitation to just... It's an invitation to happiness, and sometimes it's just so hard to... We even feel guilty in this life. We're so riddled with guilt. It's not just Irish Catholic guilt. I think we've, that becomes a default for so many of us. We're so even guilty to be happy because so, there's so much suffering in the world. How can you actually justify being happy? I remember when I was growing up, and I was thinking, even if everybody was happy in the world... Even there was one person unhappy somewhere else, you, you couldn't really be happy, mm. you know. So it's nice in the sense that you can't. But then Krishna says, "Well, you but but, you know, you can't take on the world's problems either. You know, you have to be compassionate and, and sensitive to that, and at the same time, you have to step into yourself, and, and you have and, to step into, you have to make your life a joyous thing. Otherwise." life is really too short to be
0: miserable and and you know these scriptures were written a long time ago and they seem to imply that there was a lot of unhappy people then <laughs> yeah. and that hasn't really seemed to change it that seems to be a permanent feature
1: yes the nature of, of the, the world. world yeah the nature of our own kind of stupidity in the nature of just again a certain level of unconsciousness or you know the frustrations of of expectations of expectations of happiness and different arenas of our life that generally there's more joy in the expectation than the actual experience of it (laughs) so i love just the idea that um you know it's okay to turn your back on all of that and really to delve into into this the self and the self in relationship with krishna and and that that's that its its own life and, and, and a real life and a colorful life of that
0: I think that's a, that's a very nice note on which to uh, end the, uh, our, our conversation um, thank you very much for uh, sitting for an interview and uh, you are listening to Questions for the Sages I'm Michael Scherer thank you for listening thank you Michael Thanks again to Ananda Vrindavaneshwari Devi Dasi for being on the podcast. Your work as temple president is deeply appreciated by many people, including me. Thanks to Rico Hayes for the theme music and to Miriam Lansky for discussions about how to approach the subject matter of the podcast. Also again, thanks to the Hare Krishna community of Potomac, Maryland for making this all possible. I'm Michael Scherer, and you've been listening to Questions for the Sages.